Welcome to the Give Yourself the Chat podcast. I'm your host, Peter Lewis, and this is the show dedicated to unlocking human potential and living a life of high performance. So, hi everyone, welcome to Give Yourself the Chat, another episode, another fascinating guest. In fact, I've got a guest on today. I've I've really I've followed his story through Facebook and social media, and I've been absolutely inspired by him. Um, it's Mark Smith. We'll give you more of his backstory in a moment. But uh, Mark, hello. It's a pleasure to have you on the uh, on the podcast. How are you? Yeah, really well, thank you. Um, thank you for sort of getting in touch and for inviting me on. Um, I really appreciate it. You're, you're very welcome. There's uh, there's so much of your story that relates to give yourself the chat and this this ability to overcome adversity and challenge. And you know, if if being a sort of ex grenadier guardsman wasn't sort of uh, challenging and uh, enough for you in the past, it's not so much that we're talking about. I, I want to dive straight in, and I gave you warning of this before we hit record. But there's a line in your bio that said. I died, and I'm hugely thankful that I was able to be resuscitated. I think that's a pretty good launching point for us to kind of explore what happened, Mark. Give us your, give us your story, and let's go from there. Yeah, yeah, no problem. Um, so I had recently been promoted to Lance Sergeant. Um, I'd finished my promotional course in Brecon, uh, which enabled me to also be a qualified uh, safety staff supervisor. Um, and then almost straight after finishing the course, I was flown out to Canada, uh, where our regiment was going through pre-deployment training to go back out to Afghanistan. And at the end of our own six week course, um, those of us who were qualified, um, to be safety supervisors were then attached to the next regiment, which happened to be the Yorkshire regiment to help them with their live firing ranges and so forth. And the first few days were fine, um, following along sort of individuals, then building up to them going down the ranges in pairs, fire teams, sections. And naturally it sort of builds up and and the ranges get more realistic, more lifelike. Um, And it was the day of the platoon attack ranges so you've got a range consisting of around 30 to 40 soldiers plus safety staff. Um, and it was all quite new to me. I um, We were predominantly sort of soldiers that moved everywhere on foot, uh, yeah. sort of mounted. And this particular range was uh, armoured infantry. Um, so we followed uh, the platoon um, in their in their warrior vehicles, uh, they debust, cleared a bunker position. Um, we debust at the same time, followed them through. Um, they then progressed onto a trench clearing system. Right. Uh, same again, and then the section that I was overseeing uh, moved on to clear a number of compounds similar to to what you'd find in Afghanistan and. Uh, the section had stacked up outside the compound wall next to the entry point. Um, so at that point, the soldiers would be in sort of assaulting pairs, ready to go in and clear each room. Right. And I was the last man, so I would have been going in with the last assaulting pair. Yeah. Um, but as the first soldier went into the first room, um, as the rounds were fired, uh, they came through the wall, which... It was just because um, they they obviously get used regularly by different regiments throughout the yes. time. Yeah, uh, they were just MDF buildings, so they're sort of really flimsy. You know? Yeah, they they get used for six weeks, taken down, replaced, and same yeah. again. Um, and so obviously the the rounds from this light machine gun came through the wall, and I had my back to the wall, um, and it was at that point that I got several gunshots to my right leg and then one to my right shoulder. Um, So the range was obviously brought to a halt. Um, The safety staff that I was working with came over and kept me alive, um, basically, through tourniquets, clamping off my femoral artery, which had been hit um, by a couple of the rounds 
Um, so in terms of being hit in the femoral artery, being an arterial bleed, you've got minutes. Yeah. Um, and and the, the blokes were brilliant. They they elevated the leg, they clamped off uh the artery, um, applied the tourniquets. Um the first tourniquet was a bit uncomfortable. Um oh, so not, you're still you're still conscious at this stage. Yeah, yeah. Um okay. I, I ended up being conscious throughout up to the point of where I was on the helicopter. Um but the first tourniquet was they'd they'd caught um my testicles <laughs> in in the, uh, in, in the uh, tourniquet so I was obviously screaming uh, it was that high up wow yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> um when they'd realized they obviously put it back on um and throughout the lads were sort of talking to me um kept me kept me sort of conscious throughout um I started to complain that my shoulder was was hurting um, yeah and they were like oh you know you, you'll be fine and um and then they cut cut my shirt open, realised I had an exit wound at the front of my shoulder as well. Um, that was relatively clean in comparison to the leg, so yes. they just packed that and and that was that was fine. Um, and the the trouble with it being an exercise is that we were having role play casualties, so to speak, throughout the ranges to test. The Yorkshire Regiment and their reactions, their casualty evacuation drills, and so there was a little bit of confusion when it came to calling in a a nine liner. So calling in for a helicopter to come and obviously take me to hospital. Well, because they thought that this might not be real. This is an exercise yeah. playing out, right? Yeah. Um, so there was quite a delay. Um, in total, it took ninety minutes to get me off the ground. Um, that's a long time in femoral artery bleed out, isn't it? Yeah. It's, yeah. yeah. Um, and I think the hardest part was um, being a range and overseeing what was a, a relatively inexperienced regiment in terms of their previous deployments to Afghanistan. I don't think they'd deployed before. Um, right. Nobody had morphine pens or anything like that. So this whole experience. Um, was a hundred percent like I had no no pain relief um yeah. <laughs> so yeah it, that that I think helped keep me awake um I did I did slip into a moment of almost comfort and, and relaxation um and I think it was at that point that my extremities had sort of gone blue um and one of the lads uh, ended up punching me in the face to basically bring me bring me sort of back round. Um, yeah, because yeah, yeah. actually slipping into unconsciousness and that's the worst thing. You've got to try and keep you awake somehow. You know, better to be screaming in pain than quiet yeah. and clean blue. Yeah, yeah. So it it did the trick. Um, yeah, and yeah, eventually, um, sort of plenty of talking and and sort of reassurance and stuff like that. And because I, I didn't really know know these lads, we were thrown together. Of course, yeah. yeah you're your range supervisor, aren't you? These aren't part of your regiment, yeah, or anything yeah. else like that, yeah. Um, and then, yeah, the helicopter eventually turned up. Uh, if I remember rightly, it was a Lynx that they sent out, which isn't the biggest of helicopters, not no. really ideal for getting a stretcher on. Um, but at the point of being on the helicopter, I almost sort of thought, I'm safe now, and relaxed um and then i i don't really remember much more of that myself a lot of the blanks that have been filled in are, are sort of by my wife and that since and and i came around two days later uh having been on on life support so those blanks you said your wife so the back to the line of you know i died i was resuscitated it was actually your wife letting you know that you flatlined for what was it you said five minutes or so yeah yeah um, yeah so, yeah, she said I'd I'd spent. Um, obviously, she back home with the time difference got a knock at the door uh, from sort of two lads from from Bista, being the closest barracks. They'd they'd been sent to come and sort of let her know. And 
then the welfare officer from the Grenadiers got in touch and said, we've, we've booked you on a flight from Heathrow. You know, you've got a couple of hours, basically. Um, we had a newborn son at the time, so she had to sort out childcare. She had like, wow. um, so it sort of all came as a whirlwind more for her. Um, and yeah, she was flown out um, and the Padre um, from our regiment at the time had basically sort of, in as, in as many words, said to her on her arrival in Calgary that she would be sort of turning off my life support. Um, so yeah. that that was almost what she was sort of flown out for, it seems. Um, yeah. Well, thankfully, and, she didn't have to. No, no. And <laughs> Oh, gosh, we're chuckling now, aren't we? But it's, um, but yeah, how grave w- was that? And for, you know, your, your partner to have to experience that and and go through that the i mean but also the, the quick thinking of of people and the presence of mind of people on the ground stabilizing you 90 minute wait and then lo and behold the world's smallest helicopter not quite but it's yeah. not not a chinook they can just run you on the back of and, and and extract you out of so at what point then were did the decision around amputation happen you've stabilized you've gone through many operations i mean i think is is it something like 26 operations that you've had since yeah yeah Yeah. at at what point did they (laughs) make the decision or did you have to make the decision or was it made for you around amputation because it's is it it your right leg and part of your right shoulder were yes yeah um so they were actually at the time more worried about my shoulder because it was so close to the nerves. Uh, they thought I'd lost the use of the arm. Um, so I hadn't moved the arm at all for a couple of days. Um, but they had tried in the two days prior to bring me off of life support and I kept going into cardiac arrest. Um, I had a number of drains coming from the leg and basically I was starting to get organ failure. So the leg was was killing me basically there was no feeling in it it, it was it was dead um and i i think that's partly to do with how long the tourniquets were on for as well right. um yeah but eventually yeah on the 5th of july so two days later i was i i came off of life support and i remember sort of coming around and my initial sort of thought um was that my like I noticed my wife had had her hair done, so <laughs> that was that was the first thing that struck me. Um, <laughs> hair all done. Um, excuse me, and then uh, this this doctor surgeon stepped in, and um, and had said, you know, look, obviously explained the accident and said we need to take your leg today, basically, or you're, or you're not gonna you're not gonna see the day out. It's gonna kill you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and being quite sort of stubborn and, and initially I refused, um, our, our regiment had, had had lads before myself from sort of Herrick six that, that had lost legs, um, above the knee and yeah. had, had struggled really. And the lads below knee had, had tended to sort of progress a lot better. Yeah. And the the surgeon couldn't promise that I wouldn't be an above knee. <laughs> mm. And I would only sign the consent form for the operation if he would take it below the knee. Below. Um, so I was given a bit of a talking to by my wife and then I signed the papers. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. And yeah, obviously she, she said within a few hours of having the amputation, I'd already started to sort of pick back up. Um, so they they did have to take quite a bit. I'm sort of mid mid thigh in terms of amputation, um, right. but yeah, obviously it was the it was the right decision. Um, I think my my reluctance was more. I I still wanted to be a soldier. I knew that that would mean that would be the end of the career. Yeah. Still loved playing football. I knew that obviously having one leg would it would be highly unlikely I'd play football again. And um, so I I was thinking of what sort of life am I going to have if I lose the knee as well? So, yeah, you know, I I sort of shed a tear and stuff as I was going down to to theatre. But, yeah, it was the the best decision, really. 
Well, it's, it sounded like it was the only decision, really, despite your reluctance and thinking about limiting, you know, your foot guards, for, for instance, you know, for goodness sake, you know, and, and all those things. But just being a soldier and being a proud soldier that's done ceremonial duties at Tower of London and just being able to enjoy those physical pursuits, of course. And there, there would be anger, there would be denial, I can only imagine. But ultimately, you knew in your heart of hearts it was the only, yeah. Well, I think for the listeners here, two two things that blokes can take away. One, listen to your wife, because you know, yeah. clearly that's a, a lesson that will but secondly, the fact that you noticed that she had, had had her hair done was the first thing. I mean, gosh, there, there's so many men that missed that their entire lives. And that's the first thing you noticed when he came round. Um, yeah, very, very attentive. <laughs> very attentive, very attentive. Yeah, so tuned in there. Obviously, your heightened senses around that. Um Let's talk about, so then there's the whole period of recovery at, uh, at Headley Court, which is, you know, center of excellence and, and going through that. And that, that long, I can only imagine that sort of long journey back, to, well, not back to, but into a new identity for yourself, a, a new life for yourself. And so let's kind of fast forward a little bit and perhaps we then go back in because what you've achieved since that fateful day in terms of your athletic and sporting pursuits. You've, you got into bodybuilding and competition bodybuilding and Britain's strongest disabled man and winning titles and being on the stage with some of the, you know, the sort of superstars of bodybuilding out in the States. Uh, and then more latterly, you're now back to playing your passion football for Peterborough FC and the disabled. Is it the, what's the name of the league? Is it the National Amputee Football League? Yeah. There's yeah. actually a league for people, amputees like yourself. So, yeah. and, and you've done amazing things in, in sports. So you've managed to access when you were being wheeled down to the, the surgical room, all those things you thought you're going to be denied. Actually, you've, you've, you've managed, but how do you go from, that being able, you know, being able to try and make sense of the fact that you're about to lose your leg and parts of your body to where you are now. What, what magic happened in between? How did you get to where you are now? That's quite fascinating. Um, so let's explore that, please. Yeah, no, thank you. Um, the, the, the turning point, I, I was still in denial the first six weeks or so in hospital, still adamant I was going to go on my next promotional course. I, you know, I'd Really? And then I was surrounded by such good men. Um, obviously, when I was flown back uh, to England 12 days after I'd been shot, I was flown to the Queen Elizabeth Hospital in Birmingham. So there's a ward there, Ward 412, which is which was all lads being flown back from Afghanistan. Yeah, and yeah. so I, I went on to a ward that was full of men in a far worse state than myself in terms of injuries, but with such a positive outlook. Um, every man there was obviously grateful to still be alive. Um, every man knew the risks of obviously going on operational tours and so forth and all just, you know, that, that typical sort of squaddy mentality of just crack on. And that was quite infectious in hospital when you're around such good people and and one in particular um a lad called uh, matt webb spider his name was and he was he was opposite me and he'd lost both his legs and his arm above the elbow oh, and wow. i think the arm that he had left was broken um obviously from an ied and within a week or so of being blown up he was taking himself in an electric wheelchair down to the sort of cookhouse in the hospital sort of you know, sitting and sort of playing with his son on his bed. And obviously I had a newborn son at the time as well. And um, just seeing that he, in terms of limb loss, was a lot worse off than myself. And he just looked happy. Um, wow. And so I think he was the catalyst for feeling positive um, from, from early on. Um, but one of the things that, that led me to physically want to challenge myself is every, every week we would be weighed on the ward and um, I'm, I'm six foot one and I'd, I'd dropped to 61 kilos at my lowest. Um, 
I'd been nil by mouth so often because I was being taken back down to theatre. Then I'd end up back in intensive care, back on the ward. Mm. Um, and then obviously with lads being flown back in from Afghanistan, I'd be due to have an operation that would get put back. So then it'd be another day of nil by mouth. And with the metallic taste and stuff in your mouth coming from the morphine and all the other drugs, even when you could eat, you didn't particularly want to. Um, and so I just, I'd wasted away in bed and lads from the Grenadiers were coming to visit me and they walked past me um, while I was laying in bed and because I was, I was unrecognizable. Oh, yeah. And it was only that I was the only Grenadier on the ward and they'd seen my regimental t-shirt and that's what made them come back and come back. Yeah. Realize it was that, that's some weight loss program you're on. Wouldn't yeah. It? <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't advise it. So. No, 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 but there's into, isn't it? It's quite interesting that ward four, one, two was all, I should imagine that was by design because knowing the collective support that squaddies and soldiers will give each other, I should imagine there was quite a bit of banter on that ward. And in many ways, it would have felt like being back in barracks or being back in the, the science mess or whatever at times. And it's quite an inspired thing to do of the hospital organization to put you back into that environment. It's almost like you couldn't help but be uplifted in some way. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I think it's become more apparent how important that was since I've got into things like football and I've met amputees who haven't got a military background and their rehabilitation from losing a leg has been quite an isolated one. Um, you know, they, they've had to experience that all on their own at home and, and struggling. And I was just around people that were all in the same boat and we, we picked each other up. I'd have a down day and someone would, you know, take the pee and, and vice versa. And yeah, just uh, have a sense of humour from day one. Um, like I said, it, it was infectious, and it it actually. I had, I, I look back at my sort of nine weeks. I think I spent in total at the Queen Elizabeth with like fond memories. Um, it's obviously such a big a big part of of my whole family's lives. Um, but yeah, I actually the few times I've had to go back there for operations since I've been out of the army and stuff like is yeah, it's, it's, there's quite happy memories there because it's, there's a lot of laughing, a lot of piss taking, a lot of, a lot of time sort of spent with your families and friends coming up and yeah, it, it just, it set the, it set the marker for, for sort of going forward. Yeah. And, and I guess also, so you've got the ward there, but also that, that environment then would have continued in places like Headley court where you're, continuing your rehabilitation with service men and women around you and that support structure it's like you know what what makes great teams often looking to the military is is where you you need to look first because that sort of immersive experience but also we don't allow each other to be down and in fact we'll just take the piss out of you until you put a smile on your face and just get yeah. on with it and but that is so important that support structure and i think i know a lot of what you do now is about encouraging and, and and helping and supporting others on on their path not just just you know ex-service men and women but anyone and and i know part of your your mission really is is to if you can just help one person just to see see the opportunity or just be grateful for the fact that they're like or whatever it might be is really important to you i know so much i'm we're, we're going to come on to the strongman piece and everything else like that but you've you've also you've decided to I mean, it sounds like, would it be fair to say that you, you, there was a turning point? What was the turning point for you to really get on this path of stretching yourself and going down the strongman bodybuilding route and football and everything else? Can, can you trace it back to a moment where you decided that Mark and his identity was all about what you are now rather than what you were previously? Yeah, to be fair, it would be the day that I weighed in at, at 61 kilos um i've actually got a photo uh with with my son on the hospital bed and it was the, the lightest i was throughout that time and i was more disheartened by the way that i looked than the fact that i was missing a leg and 
I'd said to my wife that that actual day, when I get out of here, I'm never going to look like this again. Um, and so obviously at Headley Court, it's a it's a slow process, but obviously it's done in stages of of sort of getting you walking and and running and physio and all that, and and then that inevitable stage comes of life after the army, and mm. that was where I was lost, and that was where my whole all of my appointments with the occupational therapists were all about I need to be doing something physically challenging um some lads had a sort of clear vision of of what career they wanted to go into and I I never really got past that it's like I don't there isn't another job like I only you know throughout school I just wanted to be an infantry soldier so I never got myself past that point. It's like, but I don't want to do anything else. Yeah. But I want to do something physically challenging. Um, And I think it, yeah, it all stemmed from the way that I looked that, that particular day in hospital. And, and hence the idea to take up bodybuilding. Had you done anything like that? You clearly go to the gym and as a soldier, infantry soldier, you're physically fit. Had you ever even crossed your mind to go into that that sort of arena, that bodybuilding strongman arena? Um, I think had I not lost my leg, I would never have done, I would never have pulled a truck or stepped on a stage or anything like that. Um, put a pair of Speedos on and kind of grease, you know, put, put, put the oil on, or I don't know. Did, yeah. did you, was it that? Because a lot of it's that, that show piece. It's, yeah. It's how, yeah, yeah. It, it was more... It was such a contrast from the way that I looked that day in hospital to be stood up on a stage. Um, Obviously, people, when they first lose a limb, are very conscious that everybody's staring at them, whether they're in a wheelchair or on on a prosthetic leg or you're looked at a lot. And it was like, what what a journey it would be to have gone from being that ill and, and weak in hospital to barely be able to lift myself up out of bed unaided to stepping on a stage in front of people in a pair of trunks to be critiqued. Um, and my, my mindset was when I'm up there, I, I'm going to be judged on everything that I'm capable of training, everything that I've got left. Um, and in that time that I'm on stage, those judges, they're not going to be critiquing me on my leg, but on me as a person and, and what I've got mm. still offer. Um, so bodybuilding was like the extreme way of growing in self-confidence of, of my appearance. Um, and I'd always, I'd always idolize people like Arnold Schwarzenegger. And um, I mean, it, it was met <laughs> with sort of wide eyes when I said, I'm, I'm going to step on stage, but when I was at Headley Court, I, I used to sit in the evenings and, and look for inspiring sort of amputees online. And a number of American uh, amputees had come up that, that had done bodybuilding shows. And it was like a, an itch that wouldn't go away. Um, yeah. And then I just started looking into it more and more and more. Um, and at the time when I very first stepped on stage, there weren't there weren't many many amputees if any that had stepped on stage before in england so um yeah it was it was a challenge that it got me out of bed in the morning and excited me and it was an adrenaline rush and all the things that i needed at that point in my life um that's incredible i mean i mean what what courage that takes because you are literally being judged on your physical appearance and there's a degree of vulnerability. I mean, who wouldn't feel vulnerable in a pair of speedos with being judged, (laughs) (laughs) but, but actually that, that is you're laying yourself bare. So it's, that's, it's a really fitting pursuit to take you from where you were at that, you know, that waif like former, you know, not, not even an image of your former self to what a transformation, a metamorphosis of your, of your sense. But what was the biggest sort of lesson or affirmation that you took away from that experience? What, what did it leave you with apart from the trophies and the accolades and the experiences at, at a sort of at, the, at your core, what did that experience leave you with? 
Um, the fact that when 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 I sort of had had made it public, you know, to to lads I'd sort of serve with and and family and friends, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna step up on a bodybuilding stage. You could tell from people's reactions, it wasn't. I don't think many people sort of bought into. I don't think many people saw me actually carrying it through. And I think, in my mind, I realised after I'd done it, and I'd had some success with it, that anything that I tell people I'm going to do, I can achieve if if I put in that same level of effort. Um, yeah. So it it then almost sort of manifested into well what else can I do like I've I've proven that I can get my body fat to this percentage and so on despite missing a leg obviously the the able-bodied bodybuilders would do a lot of their cardio through running and stuff like that and so I, I had to improvise from day one and I found a way and that that was what sort of stuck with me from it. If I can find a way to get into that condition to hopefully not look too out of place on stage, then what else can I do as an amputee? Um, yeah. And yeah. And so did that then lead you to thinking, okay, I've, I've achieved everything I want to in bodybuilding and strongest man, go pick another challenge. Let's go back to football. Or, or was it not quite as linear as, as that? Um, I think the, the one thing that I didn't enjoy through, through bodybuilding and strongman is the loneliness, uh, funnily enough. Um, I'd always grown up obviously playing football. So team sports, my time in the Grenadiers, always around groups of blokes, always, you know, venturing out to do stuff as a group, like always had people around me, um, and bodybuilding, into strongman was like a progression in terms of strength and, and stuff like that, taking what my body could do to, to the next level. Yeah. But mentally I didn't enjoy being on my own. Um, and when, when that sort of came to the surface um, and, and I spoke with my wife about all the things that I was struggling with, one of them was, I missed being a part of a group um, mm. and I missed, I missed football. Um, I, yeah, I just wanted to be a part of something rather than um, I think strongman, you know, when you step forward for an event, be it the truck ball or anything like that, everybody's eyes are on you as an individual. And if you, if you fail, it's all on you. It's, it's your lack of effort, your lack of preparation. Everything is, um it's 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 quite a lot to sort of take and whereas to be a part of a team you're you're part of something a, a unit similar similar to being in a regiment and yeah. that that was ultimately what brought me back to football was I missed that the camaraderie and the togetherness in the changing rooms and working hard for each other and yeah yeah, yeah. I love that side of it and and so in, in in many ways, I guess you're accessing that part of your military life that you enjoyed, but in a, in a very different way. And again, another challenge. And I, and I dare say there'll be other pursuits and challenges that you'll go on from football with. And it sounds like it's almost like you, you you've proved yourself that actually anything is possible. And I know now it's really about helping others believe that in themselves or supporting them. And you know, you're, it's very exciting times. I mean, and you're, you're going to be a published author come September this year. Um, your, your book, Strength of Mind, perfect title. I know, I think your wife came up with that title, didn't she? Which is a nice touch. Yeah. Um, she's obviously played a big part in all of my rehabilitation from literally the, the day that I was shot, sort of being by my bedside to support in my decision to, to go up on stage. Um, to be in there cheering me on at strongman competitions to sort of agreeing with with my desire to sort of be back as part of a team and supporting everything along the way and so this book was was a a joint effort really um and so we 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 spoke like we do on on everything i 
I've never sort of made decisions on my own. Um, I have to get the seal of approval first. And so <laughs> the book was no different. Yeah. Um, and my wife sort of said, you know, with all the things I've done, she said the thing that uh, she's amazed by the most with me is my my strength of mind. Um, and I was like, Joe, oh, actually, I I like that. <laughs> and it, it sort of stuck. Um, yes. I, it was difficult to sort of name a book myself, but to to see that that's what my wife thinks of me um, seemed quite fitting. Yeah, and it's it's a it's a validation of of her love and admiration for you. But equally, what you've clearly demonstrated that others can see. But Mark, let's let's not kind of pretend that this has been plain sailing by by any stretch. And I, I'm guessing there are still moments. I don't know how frequent they are now, but your downtime, your, your dark cloud or whatever. So how, how do you manage that? How do you manage? Because I'm guessing it's an ongoing process of rehabilitation. And how do you personally get yourself, how do you give yourself the chat? <laughs> um, I think my, my, my lowest point was something that... Um, I sort of tried to put a lid on um, and it it proved to be sort of my my downfall in a way. Um, and then when you add in other factors uh, like sort of pain and, and, and sort of setbacks you get with walking, it all came to the surface at probably the worst time. Um, so one of the lads who played a massive part in Canada in keeping me alive. Uh, Spence, he was uh, from the Royal Welsh Regiment. Mm. Um, he was the man that sort of clamped off my artery. Um, and obviously I owed people like him and, and the other lads that were with me that day my life. Um, mm. So we we became sort of really close uh, afterwards. Obviously, I, I didn't really know him prior to sort of working with him in those couple of weeks. Yeah. And uh, he was in Lenechley in Wales. So a good a good sort of journey. But when we managed to get in touch with each other, which proved difficult, uh, I can't say the MOD were particularly helpful with putting us in touch with each other. Uh, right. Because I wanted to thank everybody that had helped me. Yeah, of and when we'd finally got in touch through through social media, I'd found him. He drove from Lenechley to Milton Keynes that that night. And we sat up all night talking. I, I sort of put my arms around him and we had a sort of moment together. And um, he had so much sort of belief in what I could do and, and the plans that I had and everything like that. And was really sort of, um, it was a bit older than myself. It was a platoon sergeant. So he'd it was almost like a father figure in a way. And we had this, I suppose, a, a bond, um, you know, I owed him everything and, and he, for him, my injury was a big thing as well, because he'd said to me that, uh, before myself, that the lads he'd treated that had been injured in Iraq and Afghanistan had all passed away. And I was the first person he'd treated that had pulled through. So we, we we had like a you know something sort of really nice and yeah. um then two weeks after I won my first Britons, um yeah, he was he was sort of struggling. Um and yeah, took took his own life and oh god. Yeah. Um but at the time um I just chose to sort of throw myself into keeping really busy and never really sort of properly dealt with it. I just thought, you know, I'll make him proud and I'll I'll mm. go off and I'll try and win this, try and win that. And mm. I just, I didn't really stop. Um, and that coincided with, I'd had an operation on my sciatic nerve that had gone wrong. And so every single step I was taking on my prosthetic was, was painful. Add to that that I kept gaining weight to try and improve and keep progressing in strongman obviously the level every competition was going up and up and i wanted to to go up with it so i was i was gaining weight almost too much weight for the prosthetic i had this pain from my sciatic nerve and then 
something I was sort of keeping to myself throughout Strongman and feeling quite isolated was that, yeah, I, I sort of, there wasn't really a day when I wasn't thinking about him, yeah. but I was trying to channel that through my events and competitions and my training and it all just sort of bubbled away. And it was uh, one one particular day we'd, we'd taken the children to Florida um, and this was going to be the dream family holiday. Like we'd never been before. And I, I couldn't, I couldn't take a step on, on my prosthetic. And, and so we hired a wheelchair. Um, but being in America, it was 10 times too big for me. And so my, I was reliant on my wife pushing me around. Um, and at the time I'd, I'd got to over 20 stone. So I, I really sort of felt guilty that my wife was bearing all that weight, you know, in the, in the humidity and the heat of Florida. And, um, and I'd, I'd gone from being this sort of proud grenadier to having no independence at all. Really. I was reliant on my wife to, to push me everywhere. Um, I couldn't walk. I couldn't hold the children's hands. I couldn't pick them up. I could everything that, I prided myself on before I couldn't do. Um, and then, yeah, one particular day at a water park, um, the wife and children had gone down a slide and it had gone to be my turn. And the uh, sort of person that worked at the top of the slide wouldn't let me go down. <laughs> um, so I was then stuck at the top of this, this massive hill in a wheelchair that I couldn't steer myself. There was only steps down or the slide, um, no no phone or anything on me. And I spent close to an hour just sat at the top of this hill. like, <laughs> um, And then, yeah, we, eventually we, we got back down. Uh, my wife came and sort of found me and helped me down. And um, we got back to the hotel room. I, I said I, I wanted to sort of go and, and we got back to the hotel room. And that was the first time I sort of broke down and just poured everything out and um yeah basically said I didn't want to I didn't want to sort of be here anymore um mm. and and it was I almost felt like my social media presence was a bit of a lie because I was trying to still inspire other people and motivate other people to be positive but yet my own injury had, had completely sort of taken over um, and yeah, we, I, I felt a little bit better once I'd been honest with my wife because I'd, I'd been very sort of temperamental, very sort of snappy, miserable, um, just the level of pain that I was constantly in was so debilitating and I, I hated relying on other people. Um, so yeah, that's, that was my, my my lowest point um but then you know they, they that sort of thing of of once you're at your lowest point it can only get better and although i've got a lot of guilt for spoiling our holiday um it's, it, it doesn't leave great memories for for the children or my wife i almost selfishly needed that day um to admit because my wife had said in years previous that i should should sort of take advantage of the mental health side of things at Headley Court. And my, my mentality was, you know, it only happened in Canada. I only lost one leg, but there's people here far worse off than myself. Like I don't want to waste people's time. And so I just cracked on. Um, but yeah, obviously to then reach a point where it's like, actually, you know what, I'm going to lose everything if I don't, actually get help um and, and that's the um i guess that's the worst thing you can do is when you compare your situation with somebody else's and and think well what have i got to complain about and yes absolutely sometimes you know we've got to be grateful what we've got and and, and everything else like that but that's not healthy to think what what have i got to complain about therefore i won't complain or i won't talk to somebody or i won't share that how i'm feeling with my wife or whether so i i think it takes like you say to your lowest point to realize actually 
the people that you're trying to protect, actually you're not protecting them by bearing it away. And, and who are we to say that they can't cope with it? Who are we to say that they can't manage what we're feeling? And, and I think that sense of you're not alone, but it's almost you have to come to that realization in your own way to, to, to realize actually I'm doing them and myself a disservice in that. And, you know, and heaven forbid that anyone listening has to go through what you went through. But I guess what we can learn from that is, yeah, and, and, and that's what's so good about this today modern environment, that we are talking about these things. We're talking about mental health. They're, they're, the stigma associated with it is rapidly falling away. Um, and, and, and that can only be a good thing. And I know that's what you want to pursue in your book. I think you, you said to me that one of the biggest sections in your book is the, is the acknowledgement and the thank you section. Yeah. Because actually there are so many people that are there and willing to help us if we are willing to help ourselves by asking for that help or acknowledging, I can't do this by myself. Yeah. I've been very fortunate from day one, obviously having met um, people who've lost, lost limbs as a civilian, uh, be it through sort of cancer, car accidents and so forth. We've had very different experiences and I had the luxury, I suppose, of the best level of care, for everything from the moment I was flown into the hospital to the prosthetists, the physios, the occupational therapists, the mental health team, all the consultants, um, the, the lads that were with me at the exact moment that I was shot. Um, everybody played such a huge part in sort of keeping me alive. Um, and so, yeah, I, the, the thank you part of my book is probably the biggest chapter because there were so many people that helped get me to, to even be here to write a book, to, to have the experiences that I've had, you know, that's, I didn't achieve anything in strongman without, uh, a, another former grenadier, uh, had his own gym and took in all of my strongman equipment and opened it up as, and when I needed it, to to train, organized for me for trucks to come in for me to pull and so people like him helped me to achieve stuff in strongman um people in bodybuilding that had a lot more experience than myself you know wrote me out plans gave me honest advice and sort of critiqued me along the way and and made me a better sort of bodybuilder made me a better strongman and then obviously ultimately um yeah my wife's sort of honest honest feedback in uh and and support that yes yeah, it's, it's although some of those achievements it's it's the individual that goes up and collects the trophy um there's a whole load of people that got me to that point um and even the people that I was in hospital with and at Headley with they they gave me the foundations and the mindset that you know wow like one of the lads, Matt Spider, um, I used to go swimming with him at Headley Court in the afternoons and he only had one arm left and he could swim length after length after length. And, you know, you see that and you think, wow, like, well, I, if he can do that, I can do that. And you're surrounded by people that are doing amazing things. And obviously the, the Invictus Games are sort of testament to that. And yeah. I had the privilege of going through my rehabilitation with those people. Um, and so I've tried to sort of, I've tried to make it worthwhile. The fact that I was kept alive. Um, yeah. It's, it's repaying whatever debt you feel to them. The best way you can do that is to be the best version of Mark that you can be. And, yeah. and, and I, and I, for one, believe that because it's coming through my, what you're doing is incredible. And I think the paying it forward with strength of mind and the book being published is is just fantastic so as we as we wrap up if if somebody wants is been inspired or wants to get in touch or wants help how, how can they find you what 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 uh, where are you out in in cyberspace and and everywhere else <laughs> um so i i i've got my, my my facebook page my instagram page and my my youtube channel and they're all mark smith amputee footballer um I try and sort of just put things on there that are, are very sort of positive and, and show 
what can be done that in the military it was all about what you could do um and i found early on outside other people's perspectives of what an amputee could do was mm, you know but you're missing a leg you're not gonna be able to do that you're not gonna do this and my page from day one has very much been about proving what you can do um and i hope that in in the posts that i put that that comes across and some of the messages i've had on there have been um overwhelming really that you know i'm i'm just trying to sort of show the, the positives because in a way now that i look at it actually being an amputee is probably one of the best things that could have happened to me um i get to experience all of these amazing sports go to all these amazing places i get to sort of play an active role in my sort of children's upbringing that obviously had i still been in the forces i, I would have spent a lot of time away from home still and um yeah just to sort of show someone that perhaps has, has just had an amputation that you can do anything you want to do um it's just it's, it's a mindset um and i hope i hope that comes across sort of through those those pages mark it definitely comes across and like i said at the start of this episode i've wanted to have you on the show for a long time i've, I've been following uh your your transition from bodybuilder to, to footballer and you know a sort of a, an inspiring public servant so thank you very much for for spending the time on this episode um we'll have another chat further down the line and um and, and it's been a real pleasure so, so thank you very much yeah uh, thank you thank you for having me on what an amazing man utter inspiration and still manages to retain his sense of humor uh, when he thinks back to the event but also during the event itself which has shaped mark to be the man he is now um, dedicated to a life of gratitude a life of paying it forward and and helping others um, because he's been helped so much and i wish him all the best with his book um, and whatever his his endeavors take him to next you know bodybuilder strong man now a footballer who knows what this amazing person will turn his hand to and so i'm definitely going to have mark back on a future podcast episode i really hope you enjoyed this one and if you can support Mark's work in any way, then that'd be great too. If you want to get in touch with me, uh, it's peterlewiscoaching.com, uh, full of resources, blog posts, and some free training you can get your hands on. Uh, but of course, also this podcast is on all major podcast platforms and primarily Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. I'll see you on the next one.